This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Very good afternoon to you. Shortly, Mia Davies, the member for Central Wheatbelt, will be along and she's saying that telecommunications infrastructure in the regions is a disgrace and it's about time that a reasonable backup power plan is in place for every transmission tower across the regions. You'll hear from her just before news headlines at half past 12 today. A little later in the hour, we'll take a look at hay exports to China because they are going through the roof over the last couple of months just after China renewed many of the trade permits for 25 Australian exports. Munro Patchett from Gilmac will go through the figures for you. We can see just how much hay has been going into China uh, when those permits were renewed back in September. Six past 12 here on the Country Hour on the ABC right across Western Australia and on the ABC Listen app. The manager of several cattle stations spanning WA's Kimberley region says the slow-moving tropical low that's now moved into the Pilbara has delivered some beautiful, steady and much-needed rain. Hayden Sale is the general manager of the Argyle Cattle Company, Yugawalla Pastoral Company and Mandora Cattle Company. He says the rain has been great across the east and central Kimberley, but the west Kimberley remains incredibly dry. Hayden, how much rain did you get? Oh, look, fast in the central Kimberley and eastern Kimberley, it's been brilliant. It's just something we've had um, anywhere from 100 mil to up to 200 mil over the last four or five days and pretty steady nice rain as well not just mad big flash floods or anything it's just been um been a brilliant break to what what was becoming very worrying very sort of late year for us uh not much through december and the first half of january so we were starting to get a bit worried so it's been yeah been a good event and how do those rainfall figures compare to your average season oh that would because we've had so much in the last few days it's probably getting back towards average maybe still a little bit under but um up to that point, we were well, well under. Very, very dry December and very dry January until now, like next, next to non-existent. So, uh, you know, one of the driest sort of starts to the wet I've seen in my time there. So we were getting pretty worried, yeah, for sure. And, and I don't think it's got to the West uh, West Kimberley yet. So there's probably some people over there that are still hoping for a bit, but certainly in the middle and the east, it's been, uh, been a good event. That's such great news to hear. Yeah, we spoke to David Stoat from Anaplane Station just south of Broome, so the West Kimberley, very dry and continues to be dry. He was really hoping for something out of this, but he was even selling some cattle across the border to the Northern Territory, which is, you know, as he was saying, pretty unusual for January. Mm. So, yeah, some people in that sort mm. of situation over there. Yeah, same. Well, our, our own place, Jane and I, Mandora's borders, uh, and our planes have been very dry. We've had nothing, I think two mil the other night for uh, the whole week. So it's getting getting, uh, getting pretty dramatic over there. But it's, uh, they are forecasting a bit the next few days, so fingers crossed for that side, yeah. So that's the only station, Mandora Station, that's missed out at this point? Yeah, it has. And uh, that's, that's our personal place. The place we manage for the bigger group uh, has Shamrock south of Broome, and it's, it's a bit in the same boat, not a lot of rain there either. So so we're still hoping this, this event makes it to the west. Um but where the bulk of the properties are, it's certainly been a fantastic rain event 
in through the central and eastern Kimberley for sure. Just on Mandura, how are you managing that situation there with the dry conditions then? Uh, well, we we reduced our stock numbers a bit last year because we had a um, had an event where we had uh, grasshoppers come through and, and a lot of grass. So we were actually sounds ridiculous, but out of that that event, we weren't too bad place to handle the dry so far. So we're down a little bit on numbers, but if we don't get rain the next few weeks, we'll probably have to look at doing something similar and reducing some stock numbers there, like mm-hmm. Mount of Plains, I think. So just been just nothing at all, not even early storms on that area, which is quite unusual. But uh, And then in the central Kimberley and eastern Kimberley, we were we were starting to get very worried because it, just, it just had uh, it been nothing at all. So, mm. so, yeah, we're pretty happy with that area anyway. I bet you are. Look, what does it mean getting those sort of rainfall figures just over the last three days or so. How does that change things on those stations in the central and eastern Kimberley properties? Oh, look, it doesn't doesn't make a season, obviously. Um, you, you're going to need follow-up rain. We're going to need that wet season to keep coming a bit, but it it it, um, it dramatically reduces the reliance of the cattle on the on a man-made water points. That's probably the first thing. So instead of having dams and bores under a lot of pressure, uh, and people still out and about in 40 degree heat looking after that. It's just taken an enormous amount of pressure off that. And then and then because it's been such a lovely sort of steady rain and overcast conditions, the, the, the grass is really jumping away. So it's, you wouldn't say it's made a season, but it's a really good break in the season for us. As we've heard in the news today, the Great Northern Highway between Fitzroy Crossing and Halls Creek was closed to all vehicles on Monday night. And also the Victoria Highway at the WANT border in the east also cut off. Is that affecting your business at all? Not really. We're not doing a lot this time of year except keeping water up to cattle and doing our wet season maintenance. So at the moment, no. We did, you know, one thing we probably took out of last year's flood events is we did stock up a bit more on essentials, fuel and food going into the wet. So we're okay at the moment, but... um. If it continues, you know, later in the wet season, that's when then it would affect us. Eleven past twelve. This is the country hour. Hayden Sale is here today. He's the general manager of the Argyle Cattle Company, Yugawala Pastoral Company, and Mandora Cattle Company in the Kimberley. And he's very happy with the rain that's fallen across pastoral country in the east and central Kimberley, getting between sort of. 100 and 200 mils of rain over the last few days, but the West Kimberley remains desperate for a good soaking of rain. Hayden, turning our attention to the cattle markets now, how are you feeling about the current prices that are on offer? Uh, look, I'm feeling a bit more positive about this year. Like the, from, from the second half of last year, things were all pretty ordinary and uh, continuously dropping prices, mainly driven by a big sell-off of cattle on the east coast driving down the price. Now, there's been good rain from Queensland right through to Victoria in the last six weeks, and the, the cattle market seems to have stabilised a bit. Uh, the, end of the east coast wiener market is back around the $3 mark or better, which is good. You don't stop falling at least. Um, so the good season across the north and the good season across down the east coast probably all goes well for hopefully some better prices this year. So if it's sitting around the $3 a kilo mark right now, which is pretty good as stabilised, as you're saying, what were some of those heady heights, just to put that into perspective, Hayden? Uh, well, uh, a couple of years ago, we got up to near $5, which was not very long, but we've been around the $4 mark or better for quite a while. So three is still significantly back, but at least it stopped falling as well. <laughs> you've, got to be, you've got to be an optimist <laughs> to be in this game. And so if it's stopped falling, that's good. Uh, and, and the good season across Australia 
will really help. You know, a lot of the driving down of that price was to do with people destocking on the fear of poor seasons. So I, I do think there'll be a turnaround in the cattle market. I don't know how it'll get back to the heady highs, but at least we're back heading in the right direction. Mm, okay. And the, and the markets, how are you reading the play from our biggest market, Indonesia, at the moment? It's always hard to tell with Indonesia. It's, it's, there's obviously the Brazilian market is now there. So that tends to put a cap on things a little bit, but we're still a very close market and we're good partners with them. You know, we, we, they know we supply, they know our product, they know we're reliable. So, so I, I still feel confident about the Indonesian market. So it's just going to be a year by year thing on how they're traveling economically and where, where our cattle market sits. I suppose like when it got to the highs of a few years ago, it did, did put a lot of pressure on the Indonesian market because, you know, it was made it reasonably unaffordable for them. But back at this price or somewhere, hopefully a bit north of it, I think it actually works pretty well for them. So we'll see how the year goes. But you're feeling optimistic. I mean, you, you, you couldn't be feeling any other way after the rain you've had, I guess. <laughs> No, that's right. Look, and, and we, we obviously had a lot of trouble with the uh, lumpy skin disease situation last year, and I think that's ironed itself out. We've still got some issues with skin lesions and getting that sorted as to not too many of those cattle get taken out for the wrong reason. But in general, it seems like we're in a pretty good space with Indonesia. And, and I was really quite impressed at how fast that did get ironed out last year, which says that the countries are talking to each other and getting along. So, so yeah, I feel okay about where they're at, and I feel like feel quite reasonable about where the rest of the cattle market is in the country, mainly due to the season that's been pretty kind so far. And, uh, you know, just talking to people on the East Coast, we would have been having a break there a bit the same. So there's a bit of positivity around, which is good. Oh, great to talk to you, Hayden, and so happy to hear that great news for, you know, as far as the rain goes across most of your properties. Yeah, fingers crossed for the West. The West generally gets a bit out. It is supposed to go that way, I believe. So, so we'll see what happens in the next week. But, uh, yeah, see how it turns out. Thanks, Hayden. Yeah, and we'll uh, cross to the Bureau of Meteorology just after half past 12 to get the latest on that tropical low, the location of it, and where that rain might fall in the next week or so. Hayden Sale, General Manager of the Argyle Cattle Company, Yugawala Pastoral Company, and Mandora Cattle Company in the Kimberley. It is a quarter past 12 here on the Country Hour. As Hayden and I were just discussing, the Victoria Highway is closed at the moment, and of course that links the Great Northern Highway in West Western Australia with the Stewart Highway in the Northern Territory. Western Roads Federation CEO Cam Dummacy says that means any freight between WA and the NT now has to take the long way around through South Australia and right up the middle of the country. Yeah, so obviously with the Victoria Highway closed, uh, we're currently going through Port Augusta. So Perth to Port Augusta, then up to, to Darwin. So that, uh, that trip's 5,100 kilometres, whereas the normal trip is about 3,800 kilometres. So it's, you know, it's, um, it's a fair chunk of distance further. Wow, so an extra 1,200, 1,300 yeah, kilometres. 1,300 kilometres, yeah, longer. If the outback way was sealed, what would the numbers be then? Okay, if the outback way was sealed, particularly from Labert and through Dallas, we're looking at it's only 100 kilometres longer. So it's 3,800, then it becomes 3,900. So we're saving around 1,200 kilometres on the alternative route. But there's other advantages as well in that currently, you know, Louise Bellato, my Northern Territory counterpart and I, are trying to get approval to get triple road trains up through the alternative route through Port Augusta. We've got to get approvals from the NT government, the WA government, the South Australian government and the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator, whereas having the Outback Way sealed means it's just a WANT government approval. 
it's pretty much happened every year. We've had to go and seek these approvals for some form of freight disruption where we need to increase from what's normally double road trains across the air highway to increase it temporarily to allow the triple road trains. And every time we're going to go through this sort of quite cumbersome process to get the approvals. Weird. So by the time you get approval, the waters will probably have receded. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it sometimes. Look, there's a lot of goodwill around the individual jurisdictions, but it's just that coordination effort um, to get it organised is the cumbersome element. Cam Domacy, he's the CEO of the Western Roads Federation. He was talking to Matt Bran. 17 past 12. Well, just a moment ago, Hayden Sale was telling you all about the rain that's fallen in the East Kimberley and the Central Kimberley. Well, there's also been some great rain, very welcome rain for some East Pilbara pastoralists. In the last 24 hours up to nine o'clock this morning, Newman received about 130 millimetres of rain. Just northwest of Newman is Marilana Station. Neil Gibson is the caretaker and says things had been so dry before this rain event that had to offload some cattle and shift others to where there was feed. Had six months of real dry weather, a lot of heat, everything's drying right out and dying off and in the last few weeks we've had a couple of mil of rain and now we've just had 45 mil. Hopefully we'll get a lot more. It's been very dry. Um, well, our rainwater tanks and that were getting pretty low. <laughs> uh, get, get a bit sick of the dust. Uh, it's good to see a bit of water after six months. Is it still raining now? It's still raining now um, for the rest of the day right up to about 9 o'clock tonight. So I hope we're getting another 20, 30 mil of rain to keep everything going. How long have you been up there? Uh, just on, well, not quite two years now. Yeah, how long um, after a good sort of rain, how long does it take for the, the country and the land to sort of respond to that? Most times you're generally looking after a good rain, probably three to four weeks before you start to really see a lot of the benefit of the Growth, regrowth, yeah. One of our neighbours, uh, they've got about 170 mil, about 100, 100 k's away. Um, yeah, it's, just hope we get a bit more to keep it up. And uh, just with the sort of dry spell, um, have these conditions, uh, has that sort of forced any changes in livestock or has it been largely business as usual? No, we had to do a bit of a emergency muster, get rid of and shift a lot of stock around drop the numbers down because we're getting very low on feed. Um, hopefully it'll all be good again uh, another year or so. Marilana Station caretaker Neil Gibson speaking to Tom Robinson and the property is about 110 kilometres northwest of Newman. 20 past 12. This is the Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Local Radio WA. We'll get to the news headlines around about half past 12 today. First, though, the member for Central Wheatbelt says telecommunications infrastructure in the regions is a disgrace and it's about time every transmission tower in the regions had a reasonable backup power plan. Mia Davies says the state government's investment in regional power infrastructure is also woeful, but the recent storm event has once again put telecommunications front and centre as a priority issue. Western power crews are continuing to repair the network and restore power supply to around 860 customers in the Wheatbelt 
after last week's storm caused major power, water, fuel, phone and internet blackouts across a huge area of Western Australia. Mia Davies, what do these outages across the wheat belt highlight to you? Well, the same thing that we have after every natural disaster, Belinda, which is that our telecommunications infrastructure is a disgrace and it is unacceptable that uh, in this day and age we have the cone of silence descending on communities, leaving them without the possibility of calling triple zero or contacting their first responders if they needed to. Why is it like this? Look, I, I actually think there are technical solutions to all of this and there's very practical ones as well. Although when you have conversations with the telcos, some will tell you they're not possible, like plugging in a generator and they'll give you all the excuses under the sun. I just think that it's time the state and federal government actually makes it a requirement that we have reasonable backup on every tower in the regions. And if they're not prepared to do that, then we need to make sure that we're providing funding to those communities so they've got the capacity to put their own solutions in place. Well, in some places, I mean, there were backup plans, weren't they? Like those gas generators that were designed to provide that backup power across Kalgoorlie. And even they failed during the the massive outage at the time. So even the backup plans can fail. Well, that's right. Um, And, you know, there'll be more, I'm sure, to investigate around why that particular one failed, because that's atrocious. And I would not have liked to have been in the minister's office or the minister on the day we got the phone call that uh, that had failed. But unfortunately, the telecommunications issue is just a perennial one. Every natural disaster, and you look at what came out of the East Coast fires, then we had Cyclone Sarosia, we've had the fires in Corrigan through to Wickapen last year, uh, we had Esperance fires. You look at all of the recommendations, they all say we need to build resilience and strengthen and harden the network and that telecommunications was something that was a real gap and yet we, we have the telcos dragging their heels and for some reason the state and federal government unwilling to step in and put regulatory requirements in where required. So uh, from my perspective, we've had enough. It is the number one issue that's come out of the phone calls I've made through my my electorate to all the local governments who are very well aware of it and are on the same page and have been trying to lobby to improve these outcomes themselves. I just want to see some action and it's baffling when I'm trying to explain to someone who's very practical, why can't I just go and plug in a generator when it's safe to do so, so we can at least get telco back and we can have our businesses back up and running, we can pay for fuel, we can pump fuel, we can actually call triple zero. It's flabbergasting in this day and age that we don't have solutions again and very frustrating. Why do we still have these problems? And I am going to target Telstra because a majority of the network out in the bush is Telstra and they have been the beneficiary of millions of dollars, if not billions, over successive governments. And taxpayers also fork out in excess of $335 million per annum as part of the universal service obligation that Telstra has to deliver their services. So we've seen delays in hardening programs that have been announced uh, by the federal government. We have significant funding going into, you know, telecommunications companies to do the bare minimum. And people ask me, why why does this happen in our part of the world? The only conclusion I can reach is because I can't believe in this day and age there's not a technical solution. It comes to cost. 
and it comes to cost and because there's so few people out on these lines and the customer base that it isn't commercially viable for, for Telstra. And so we then look to the state and federal government and say, okay, well, what can we do to make sure that there's an affordable solution for these communities? Because it is an essential service. We cannot consider it anything other than that. So as far as the telecommunications goes, and, that, and you believe that's the priority when we're looking at the, the telecommunications network going down and the power going down, telecommunications is the priority. I'm not going to let the state government off the hook for their woeful investment in our power infrastructure. I've been working with New Rock, which is a voluntary group of councils in my electorate in the northeastern wheat belt, who have been trying to get alternative distributed power sources and solutions for their communities, as well as communities like Beacon on the edge of the grid. Uh, and we've just been met with uh, roadblock after roadblock from the Minister for Energy, the previous Minister for Energy and the state government. So not one moment am I saying we don't need better investment in our energy infrastructure out here in the bush. But I think the overwhelming feedback I've had out of this one, because I mean, they lost big transmission lines. They just bent them over in the storm. I think everyone accepts that there has been a significant event the telecommunications not being back up and running within a reasonable period has caused the most anxiety. So what is a solution that you can see now that would address that situation with the telecommunications? If it goes down, what would be an adequate backup plan? You have to have the capacity to have a, a reasonable backup solution on each tower. So whether that's by solar, whether it's by diesel, and it can't be for six hours because that's ridiculous because the event might be continuing for that long. And I've spoken to others in the telecommunications industry who tell me that that is more than possible. Um, it will take some investment from industry and also from state and federal government, but it might also mean that we actually have to regulate if there isn't already in the regulations and also in force that every tower should have the capacity to be backed up um, so that we don't have Telstra coming back and saying, well, you, there's no point having a backup generator on the quarter tower because we don't have one on the training tower and there needs to be a chain of them connected for it to work. So it needs to be a strategic approach to filling in the gaps and making sure we have a network that is resilient in a time of, of disaster. And there are far smarter people out there, Belinda, that can come up with these solutions. And the state government's got billions in their coffers. They're running a big surplus. I think an essential service like telecommunications and our power infrastructure should come first. Mia Davies, good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Belinda. Mia Davies, who is the member for Central Wheatbelt, 27 past 12. Well, the company that owns Kalgoorlie's super pit gold mine wants the state government to consider multiple contingencies to secure the region's future power supply. As you've heard, last week's storms knocked out five large towers along the transmission line that supplies power to Kalgoorlie. Two gas turbines used for Kalgoorlie's backup power supply also failed, as we were just discussing with Mia Davies. In the meantime, the Parkston power station, which was developed to provide low-cost electricity to gold mining operations in the Goldfields region, has been feeding power into the grid as Western Power carries out those repairs. Northern Star Resources CEO Stuart Tonkin hopes better long-term solutions can be found for power problems like this. We've got guidance that, you know, it's, it's days away um, and that's the permanent solution. So, you know, we, we're expecting that that 
that work obviously has continued since the first outage and those poles were damaged through that storm. So you hear a lot of different versions of the actions at the start of this period. Uh, I think they've solved for a lot of those and understand they've got multiple multiple uh, things underway. So the bulk of that disruption that was experienced will be solved very shortly. They've obviously, the, the state government utilities had to lean on you guys and they're lucky they've had you guys there. Is uh, I guess you'd like to see a bit more strategic investment potentially from the state into the power infrastructure so they don't have to rely on you guys? Oh, either or. that It's pretty known that that Parkston plant has underpinned the power in Kalgoorlie for a long time. So that's clear. I think it's more around the, the speed to act um, and having multiple contingencies. No one can predict what part of that system you know, could fail. Yes, you could spend a lot of money in you know, contingencies and all those sorts of things, but I think it's a case of a storm or otherwise, you know, these things that occur, it's about the, the rate of speed and um, the willingness to, to act quickly so that people aren't disrupted and we understand the impact that's occurred across the community there. You know, it's pretty pretty hot weeks there. The renewable plan with the uh, the solar arrays, the, the wind turbines that's been mooted for a while, is there any update on where that, that planning's at? Look, it's still multi-year with a, with an outlook that it, that it gets brought in when we have the mill expanded. If that was in place today, yeah, it, it could have well solved the issues of the of the last fortnight. But it's just another; it'll be another asset that's you know one underpins continuity and and you know, power power security in the region. So there's a, there's a lot of benefits with having that uh, either behind the meter or connected to the grid, uh, renewable, reducing our carbon footprint there, but giving giving absolute power security for a lot of businesses' homes and obviously the business uh, we have in Kalgoorlie. Stuart Tonkin is the Managing Director and CEO at Northern Star Resources Limited. He was speaking to Jared Lucas. Half past 12 here on the Country Hour, Herlin Kaur in the studio with the news headlines. Thank you, Belinda. In the headlines, a 42-year-old woman has pleaded not guilty to killing a woman in the goldfields. Alfreda Ward was arrested in Leonora in June last year after police found a 34-year-old woman with critical injuries at a house in Cohen Street. The woman later died in hospital. As you heard earlier, the owner of Kalgoorlie Super Pit Gold Mine says a renewable energy project, which is in advanced stages of planning, will provide added power security to the region. It comes as Western Power continues its repairs to its network after severe storms last week knocked out five large transmission towers along the line that supplies Kalgoorlie. Gold miner Northern Star Resources has been propping up the network via its Pakistan Power Station, which supplies the super pit. And coastal communities in North Queensland are facing an anxious wait as a looming cyclone gathers strength in the Coral Sea. The tropical low is about 690 kilometres east-northeast of Townsville. It's likely to reach cyclone strength tonight before making landfall between Cardwell and Bowen tomorrow night as a Category 2 system. More news at 1. Thank you so much, Helen. 28 to 1. You're part of the Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Local Radio WA. Still to come, we'll take a look at hay exports to China. They're just through the roof at the moment ever since, well, back in September when China renewed many of the trade permits for around about 25 Australian exporters. So they've been right in there and sending as much hay as they can to that part of the world. Also... Uh, we'll head off to Tanning today for the results of the sheep market. And a finfish virus has been detected at the Fremantle hatchery, 
which is run by Deep Herd. What are the consequences of that? Well, you will find out shortly. Right now, it's off to the Bureau of Meteorology. Joey Rawson, let's start in the north of the state. We've spent a little bit of the country out today just talking about the rain that's come from that Well, very slow-moving tropical low. It's brought some great rain to the east and central Kimberley parts of the Pilbara. Where is it travelling? Where is it going to deliver some more rain? Yeah, it's a good question, Belinda. We do have a fair bit going on. How long have we got today? We've got about 55 uh, warnings at the moment. Should we get straight on with the warnings? <laughs> oh, Joey. Well, look, I would say you can have till one o'clock because I know everyone is really focused on the weather. That's the main, you, you are the highlight of the show right now. So take it away and good luck. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll start with the tropical low that's around that newman Karajini area. Um, that's certainly dropping a lot of rain, uh, 144 millimetres at Newman in the last 24 hours. And so Karajini will also be impacted and there is a, a severe thunderstorm, uh, severe weather warning out for that for heavy rain as well as damaging winds. We've seen some winds around uh, that 97 kilometres per hour with that system. Um, the system is slowly moving to the south-southeast and the areas uh, that are potentially going to be impacted are uh, going to be more of the northern gold fields during the next 24 hours. So uh, Waluna, uh, Three Rivers um, may, may get some of those heavy falls and and there's, again, the potential for the next 24 hours to get like 30 to 80 millimetres widespread. So most locations in that warning area to get that sort of rain, but not rolling out some 100s to 150s um, for the next 24 hours. Something similar like we've got at Newman uh, today. Um, we'll just stay with that tropical low at the moment and we'll track to Friday and it's a similar story for Friday with the rain uh, mostly being concentrated through that northern goldfield triangle area. So again, 30 to 80 millimetres around that area and, and 100 to uh, 150 millimetres also possible. So Linster and Laverton and Waluna again impacted. And it's not until we get to Saturday and Sunday when we see uh, some dry air pushing into that system and and it breaking up. So um, just looking at around sort of 20 to 50 millimetres through the northern and uh, eastern parts of the goldfields on Saturday and then uh, like 10 to 20 millimetres possible with that system on Sunday. So it's certainly today through to Friday uh, where we can see those quite heavy falls. But then we've got the action going on going on in the Kimberley as well. We've got a lot of moisture around the place and the thunderstorms are slow moving. Columba Roos um, had 142 millimetres out of thunderstorms, so we can't rule out uh, getting some, you know, 100 to 150 millimetre type falls from thunderstorms through the Kimberley uh, for a number of days, but especially the next uh, few days. And we've also got you know, heat uh, outside of the areas where it's raining, so mainly focused around the sort of northwest parts of the state, so uh, pushing into that sort of Coral Bay, Exmouth, Onslow area and... Um, yeah, that, that's uh, that's about it for the north. I think, yeah, just rain, uh, warnings and also heat as well, Belinda. And just on that rain, Joey, is it getting into the west, Kimberley? 
Um, it is getting into the West Kimberley, um, certainly not a- as much as what's happening in the far north Kimberley, and it is thunderstorm type uh, rain through the western Kimberley so um, it, it's not uh, widespread so if you do get a thunderstorm it, it could certainly be quite heavy but there's also the potential of getting nothing so um, when you look at the low that's over Newman at the moment everywhere is getting the heavy rainfall so uh, quite, quite a big difference there but yeah the whole north of the state is getting something apart from the northwest which has just got really hot conditions. Yeah let's move into the southwest land division then Joey is any of that rain going to track into that part of the state this week? So at this stage um, it's looking like most of the rain will remain uh, basically east of Kalgoorlie. Um, The system is going to track to that south southeast and it's not until Sunday, slight chance we'll get some thunderstorms through the eastern parts of the southwest land division, but but more of a chance on on Monday. Um, but it's not the significant rain that we're seeing now. It'll just be the odd um, shower or thunderstorm here and there. So, um, so for the most part, the southwest land division is going to remain quite, quite settled, um, just warming up as we get to Sunday and Monday, Belinda. All right, and then uh, take it away with this long list of warnings. Oh, okay, so uh, the marine wind warnings are strong wind warning up the west coast, basically from Bunbury uh, all the way along the west coast and all the way around the top end to the uh, west of Pilbara coast. Uh, we've got the heat wave warning. Uh, we've got the severe weather warning for the heavy rain and damaging gusts around that Newman and Northern Goldfields area. Uh, we've got a tropical cyclone warning for the cyclone that is well west of Cocos Islands. It's actually uh, potentially going to be a Category 3 system in the next 24 hours. It's actually have it's got a, a really good uh, eye at the moment, So, uh, but it's not going to impact Cocos Island. And then we've got uh, the flood warning, so a minor flood warning for the Fitzroy River. We've got a flood watch for the Fitzroy River, the Sandy Desert, the DeGray River, the Fortescue River, the Ashburton River, the Gascoigne River and the Salt Lakes District Rivers. And I think that's about it, Belinda. Yeah, well, um, my anxiety levels just went through the roof after going through all of those details. Uh, Thank you so much, Joey. You're welcome. 21 to 1, Richard Hudson in the studio now going through the rainfall figures. Yeah, and again, the majority are in the Kimberley. Uh, Diggers Rest had 70, El Questro and Emma Gorge 7, Flora Valley 28, Kachana 5, Columbaroo topped it for the 24 hours up until 9am, 144 mils falling. Kingston Rest 24, Kununara's Airport 54, Lake Argyle Resort, 6. Marion Downs, 8. Mount Amherst, 9. Mount Krause had the same. Theta, 19. Troughton Island, 56. Truscott, another 136. Uh, Truscott had over 100 mils just the other day as well. Wyndham, 11. Yulmbu, 13. And then some lovely rain in the Pilbara, as you heard in the first half. Bonnie Downs, 58. Indy, 23. Karajini North, 7. Mount Florence, 8. Newman topped it for the Pilbara with 129 and Telfer recorded 63. Also some rain in the Gascoigne, Bulu Downs, they would be welcoming 66 mils falling there and Chiri Creek 17. Bit around in the interior as well, Prenty Downs 14 and Wongawol 6 in the goldfields. The only rain was one solitary mill 
at uh, Laverton. And then, of course, as is usual for this time of year, no rain at all for the entire southwest land division forecast districts. Uh, due to the conditions, a total fire ban is still in place today for the Shire of Exmouth in the Pilbara, so no lighting fires and no doing anything that could possibly start a fire, so no cooking or camping with fires, and no hot work such as grinding, welding and gas cutting. And if you want more information on total fire bans, go to the Emergency WA website to know if your Shire has one in place and the things that you can and can't do. Hey, Bell, as you mentioned before, a, a finfish virus has been detected at the Fremantle hatchery that's run by the state government, so by the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development. And what it's meant, unfortunately, is all the pink snapper in the tanks had to be killed. So how much of a concern is this for WA's recreational and commercial fishing industries? Well, Western Australia's Chief Veterinary Officer is Michelle Roden, who says at this stage, that's a bit of unknown. So the department's um, detected evidence of a finfish virus. It's known as beta nodovirus, or also known as nervous necrosis virus, a bit of a mouthful there, in its juvenile pink snapper at its Fremantle hatchery. The, the testing was underway as part of the routine um, health certification for Deep Herd's Pink Snapper Stock Reenhancement Program and also Rep Fish West Snapper Guardian Project to make sure that fish are healthy before we release them. And while the fish weren't showing any clinical signs, unfortunately we've detected this virus in them and obviously the um, protection of our wild fish stocks is really important. So we've taken the um, precautionary measure of euthanising those animals and not making them available for release this year. How concerned are you? What could have happened if these fish had been released with the virus? Yeah, so it's a little difficult to tell. Beta-nodovirus has got a number of different strains. Um, so there are strains that are present in Australia and we have detected it in the past in the north of Western Australia. But there's also a number of strains that are exotic to Australia and under certain conditions, this virus can cause a disease called viral encephalopathy, encephalopathy and retinopathy, which is called VER, so basically causes lesions in the brain and in the eyes. And um, that's a notifiable disease in Australia. So we're not sure yet exactly what we're dealing with, which strain we're dealing with. And what we don't know yet is exactly how it's got into the, into the hatchery. The good news is that all the other fish in the hatchery aren't showing any clinical signs. They've all been tested and they, they all look good. So it's a, it's a little confusing what's going on, but, um, but nevertheless, we're doing a lot of investigations to try and get to the bottom of it. It's my understanding, though, that this virus wouldn't just affect pink snapper fish, would it? It could also affect a lot of other finfish species if it did get out into the wild. Well, that's right. And the virus when it causes the disease can affect a number of over 50 of the fin fish sort of species. And to be honest, the pink snapper are probably not the most vulnerable ones for them. So I think it's probably reasonable to say that in normal environmental conditions that the disease or the virus may not cause disease and you would not necessarily detect it. But in certain conditions, certainly when warming waters aquaculture environments, sort of any situations where animals are more intensive, then there is that opportunity for it to call this notifiable disease and cause significant production issues. 
And so that would normally affect aquaculture environments more than the sort of natural environment environments. But nevertheless, we, we don't want to test those theories. And I suppose that's one of the dangers of aquacultures, isn't it? Because if we have 100 people who have a virus throughout Perth, that's one thing. But if you have 100 and they're all in one room and then you release those 100 into a concert, you could have a super spreader event, couldn't you? Um, so usually the situation, um, because of just how vast it is in the sort of open environment, it doesn't usually persist um, as a clinical event in that situation. But it could, you know, certainly if, if the wild stocks are stressed for any reason or anything like that, then it could get hold and, and cause some problems. We're not actually sure yet. We're, we're doing some more genomic sequencing on them to see which strain we've got. And we're also doing some testing to see the viability of the virus because, as I said, there's no disease in the fish. And while that could be a, a subclinical event, we don't really know if the virus that we've detected is viable or is, or is infective, so to speak. So we still need to sort those things out. The Fremantle hatchery is also used for the development of things like kingfish and barramundi stocks. Is, is there a concern that either this virus or other viruses could be infecting those populations which are used for commercial fishing purposes? Yes, yeah, so as part of our investigation, we have tested all of those stock in, in the hatchery and they're all tested negative for the virus. We've also undertaken decontamination of the areas where the juvenile pink snapper were and obviously we've removed um, the source or the possible source in, in actually euthanising the pink snapper. Having said all that, we're obviously still working through making sure that we um, don't have any cross-contamination because, as you say, they're very valuable um, stock that are in there and very important for the aquaculture industry. Michelle Roden, Deep Herd's Chief Veterinary Officer, speaking to Richard Hudson. And she says they're currently investigating how they can strengthen biosecurity measures to ensure that this sort of thing doesn't happen again. 13 to 1. Hay exports to China have really ramped up since September when China renewed many of the trade permits for 25 Australian exporters who'd practically been locked out of the market for two years. Munro Patchett is the CEO of Gilmac, Australia's largest hay exporter. He says in September, almost 5,000 tonnes of hay was exported to China. Then in October, it was 10,000 tonnes. And then in November, it was 18,000 tonnes. Munro, we'll talk more about China shortly. First up, what's your assessment of the season just gone? So uh, growing conditions were pretty good in the southern part of the state. In the northern part, so north of northern, up around Moore and what have you, uh, the rainfall was quite low and we ended up with about a 50% yield there. So not great from that perspective. Haymaking additions were excellent. And a lot of people had their uh, hay cut, raked, baled in the shed in, in around three weeks, which is very, very fast. And the quality was, was excellent. And how did the quality here in Western Australia compare to other states? Uh, it, was, it was sort of similar. The, the high yields, so around York and Wage, and there was a lot of six, seven, eight tonne yield crops. Uh, they were visually excellent, but the analysis, as you get high yield, you get lower analysis, was sort of maybe second grade analysis there. The guys out east and to the north all had uh, pretty much top grade. Right. Do you get hay from other states or you just process in other states? 
Yes, we buy hay in South Australia and Victoria. Yeah, and what and, were the conditions like there, Munro? Yeah, very similar to WA actually. So very very little rain or basically no rain during um, haymaking. And the visual appearance and analysis is, is very good. Probably South Australia is a standout. The uh, the quality of the hay there, the analysis is, is very high, and that's reflective of a of a more average yield as well. And then the prices, how do they compare to other years? Well, uh, our, our our customers, our, our growers, all got the same price across uh, across Australia. So um, probably at the at the higher end, I think in drought years we've probably paid more. But in normal years, recent years, uh, they'd be as good as we've we've paid in, in the last uh, few years. Yeah, I have spoken to a few hay growers today and they were pretty happy with the prices. They weren't at record levels, but um, yeah, still no complaints from what I've heard anyway. I, I think the uh, the gross uh, income per hectare for hay is probably um, certainly right up there with, with anything else and, and in most cases has beaten you know, wheat, barley and, and a lot of uh, people growing canola this year. I think a lot of people with grain crops were a little bit disappointed with the, the yields they received. They look like great crops, but they didn't yield as well as they were hoping, I think. Now, the big news for this season was China back in the market because it was in uh, September when I spoke to you last that China renewed many trade permits for about 25 Australian hay exporters who'd practically been locked out of this important market for around about two years. And just to put that into perspective, in 2021, the Chinese market was worth around $160 million. Then in 2022, that dropped off to $78 million. China's back in the market. What's it like having China back on the scene? Uh, it's very good news for the industry. And just to give you some numbers, September was about 4,700 tonnes, October 10,000 and November 18,000 tonnes. That was uh, into China. So it's coming back uh, rapidly before the um, re- uh, permits, export permits were, um, were not renewed in February 21. It was about 30,000 tonnes a month. So we're probably recovered already you know, nearly half of that, that volume. And how, how big it gets, we'll have to just wait and see. And what was the feedback like from the Chinese market? Well, the customers that um, that everyone's been dealing with were, were very keen to see Australian oat and hay back in there and they seem to be wel- welcoming it and uh, no, it's, it seems quite positive. And with China back in the market, I mean, what's the outlook uh, for this season then? I mean, as you said, a lot of the producers have had a, a pretty good season with hay compared to uh, what was happening with the grain crops. So what are your thoughts about the season ahead? We'll be asking our growers to put in another paddock or two for us. Uh, we, we see a good, strong demand going forward, and we'll be looking for additional hay to be planted for export hay this, this coming season. We'll be offering additional contracts for this coming year. And when do you get a real sense of how the season is going to perform? Uh, here in Western Australia, of course, there's a, a real wait for rain going on right now and uh, looking for that rain as soon as possible, hopefully, hopefully by February, March. Is that when you really get an idea of what's going to happen for the season coming up? Uh, well, we contract with our farmers during March and April for uh, seeding time and we just monitor the season as it goes and it's really only uh, September, October, you really know what you're, what you're, what you're sort of going to get. Uh, if it's been dry all the way through, you know your yields will be down. If it's been very wet, well then you'll have above average yields. So it's just a case of monitoring and, and adjusting your expectations as you go. Now, we spoke about China earlier and obviously you went through some of the figures there just to demonstrate exactly how important the Chinese market is. What happened to the other markets, the export markets? No, well, they're still very strong. We haven't actually shipped anything to China as yet. Our competitors have been busy doing that. We've been taking care of Japan, South Korea and, and Taiwan. And Japan and, and South Korea, uh, sorry, Japan and Taiwan um, are performing as, as normal. South Korea had a lumpy skin outbreak in, in November uh, with um, 
that caused a lot of cows to not be able to move off properties and a lot of um, you know, feed not to be able to deliver to farms. So it caused a few issues for a month or so while they vaccinated about 3.5 million cows, which they managed to get through in a month. So that's had a bit of a, a bump and that volume is starting to return to normal now. And when do you expect to be back in the Chinese market, Munro? Uh, we'll, we'll get there. We've just got to make sure our traditional customers are taken care of first. And um, we're talking to our Chinese customers we had a few years ago and uh, we'll, we'll re-enter there at some point. Yeah, so that's why you need that extra hay for this upcoming season uh, to, to cater for the other markets and then possibly look to China. Yes, that's right. I mean, there's, um, there's, there's good demand for oat and hay. Australian oat and hay has made inroads the last few years. US products have been very expensive and people who wouldn't normally try oat and hay have tried it and they, they want to keep using it. So there's the sort of increased demand in the market and we need to meet that demand or if we can't, we'll, uh, they'll, they'll switch to other products from other countries. Munro, good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Munro Patchett, he's the CEO of Gilmac, Australia's largest hay exporter. Seven to one. Uh, you're off to Katanning shortly. We'll get the results of the sheep and lamb market today with Tracy Kilner. First, though, last Tuesday's big storm that just ripped through the state's south coast destroyed a piece of farming history. It was an old skin-drying shed, which basically collapsed due to the force of the powerful winds. The iron and timber shed was part of Denmark's first abattoir, built more than 100 years ago by the Bailey family. Jefford and Leslie Bailey are the last living link with the Baileys, who came out from England in the early 1900s to start a farm on the hills behind the town. Leslie says last week's storm was quite the experience. The storm arrived here, it felt as though it was like a bomb, the Hail was as big as walnuts and it was jagged too, you know, was it? And the wind and the rain, it came in and hit right on the front of our house. But that was when this shed went. There's a bit of history gone. Yeah, it's quite the end of an era really, isn't it? The first abattoir and, and then a butchering service. Yeah. Yes, Jeff's the last real bailey in the district. It's sad to see this go. I've, for one, miss it because I had clotheslines in there <laughs> and they've gone. And they used to get all the wind and the sun from the from the east and now I've got to have them right against the house. <laughs> it's, it's quite a sizable shed too it, and that would have, once the animals had been slaughtered and skinned... Skins were hung. Skins were hung. In the uh, pre-war... The uh, abattoir, they had a, a bacon factory there too and uh, they used to kill about 40 pigs a week which they used to buy from around the district and they were employed quite a big employment but uh, during the war they all left or went off to the war so they had to close the bacon factory and the bacon factory never opened again. So it would have been your your uncles and your father would have built all these buildings around here, is that right? Oh, yes. yes. So there were farmers and builders and abattoir operators butchers. <laughs> and butchers. Yes. You can see by the base of the of the big poles that they were white-hand-eaten and, and rotted, so it's not surprising that the shed went in the storm. Denmark's changed a lot in the 70 years that I've been here. So it's, um, and this is one of the things that's gone. 
It'll never be back. A link with its early history? Mm, yes. It's, um, I've known some of the history of the place, and it's sad, but we knew it would go one day. <laughs> so, obviously, 70 years you've been here, you would yes. have seen Denmark change from being a, a, a kind of dairy, beef, and timber milling town to what it is today. What do, what do you see today? Oh, vineyards, <laughs> mostly, where there were... Um, there were a lot of apple orchards, quite big apple orchards, or apples that were packed and sent to England, packed in timber cases. The uh, vineyards have mostly taken those places of those. I know at one stage, it was after I finished work here, but the population of Denmark had dropped down to 1,800 and something. Well, now it's 6,000. 800 or something. So you can imagine the changes that have come since then. And Bailey's Butcher Shop still stands, <laughs> which is surprising, but it's been... Uh, it's, all, it's all part of history, and so is the shed. So although this is not a substantial building in town, it still has a significance in the history. Yes, very definitely. It's part of the history from you know, going back pre-war, pre-First World War. So it's um, it has been important. It's still been important to us. Leslie and Jeff Bailey speaking to Mark Bennett. A couple of minutes to one. We'll get to the markets in a moment. I just want to remind you that the second men's cricket test match between Australia and the West Indies starts tomorrow. It's a day-night match. It's being held at the Gabba in Queensland. And play starts at the very inconvenient time of midday. WA time. So tomorrow and Friday, maybe even Monday if the test goes that long, there won't be a country hour on your radio. But on those days, you will still be able to stream the Country Hour and you can do that via the ABC Listen app or just search ABC WA Country Hour and you can stream the program straight from the website. And of course, the podcast is still going to be there for you on the normal platforms where you listen to the podcast and that means you can listen to the program whenever you like. To the markets now, 8,555 sheep and lambs were penned for sale at the Catanning Market today. That's up 2,620 from last week's numbers. Tracy Kilner has the sale details for you. Tracy, how are the prices? Heavyweight lambs gained $8 with demand, reaching $151 for the best. All other categories eased, with the feeder buyers selective on the Ford store lines, while restockers seemed more competitive on the lightweight lambs with frame. Very plain pens once again sold to minimal values with no interest from buyers. Mutton lost last week's gain with the best weathers selling for $50 and news reached $56 ahead. The lightweight lambs under 16 kilos carcass weight sold to $75 for crossbred lines and up to $55 for the merinos. Weights under 18 kilos carcass weight ease selling from 60 to 87. Trade weights returned 83 to 120 and heavy weights made from $120 to $151 a head. Store use sold from $1 to $21, medium weight sold to $26, and the heavyweight use over 30 kilos carcass weight returned $28 to $56 a head. Heavyweight weathers made from $20 to $50, and mature rams sold from $5 to $42 a head. Thank you, Tracy. One o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.